Tales into a Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 3 episode, Ceremonies of Light and Dark. So this episode sees basically the aftermath of the big, you know, fantastic three-part uh, sort of arc last time where uh, Babylon 5 has uh, declared independence and they're kind of trying to figure out where they go from here. Um, and it's and it's just a series of sort of multiple plots weaving in and out, showing the aftermath of the situation, showing that this this wasn't a one and done, that the the threats of the last few episodes are still here and they're not going to go away anytime soon. So you have kind of uh, Delenn uh, wanting to do that rebirth ceremony back from season one. Uh, and sort of uh, get everybody to gather together because unity is now needed more than ever. Uh, you have uh, Londo uh, dealing with Rifa, and then you have uh, the these um, remnants of uh, of the Night Watch sort of causing a problem, and that interacts with the Lin side of the story. All the while, you have people picking up and moving on from the situation you have the funeral scene you you know you basically everybody's trying to pick up the pieces you know their lives and world was shattered and now they gotta pick up the pieces and glue it back together um and it's gonna be a long and lengthy process to get there and that's what i like about this uh you know um is it's a really nice aftermath episode because a lot of fiction you know, focuses on the big climactic battle. Everything goes to hell and then the heroes succeed. Yay, the day is saved. And then it ends. That's not how life works. That's not how anything works. When something ends, something begins. And in this situation, you know, something is beginning, yes. But that thing hasn't really truly ended yet. And we're seeing the aftermath of the situation. And Babylon 5 is really good at showing the aftermath of things. Um, I'll get to that even more in late Season 4 and Season 5. When the aftermath of you know something that would be the end of a movie um, is touched upon. And made the central focus. And I think that what makes Babylon 5 unique is that it's not afraid to ask the questions of, And then what? You know, uh, the evil empire is overthrown, and then what? History has shown us that when, you know, people rise up and, t and take back the control from their oppressors, bad things happen because they felt righteous, they felt right, and they may have morally been right, yes. But there is another cost to be found there. And the fact that maybe they don't know how to run a government. Maybe they don't know how to deal with the situation entirely. Look at the uh, French Revolution and the Reign of Terror that happened right after. So it's important to remember historical context and understand that aftermath is very, very important. So I'm going to talk about the Londo stuff first and then uh, and then the hostage and then, and then the rebirth stuff and whatnot. Um, and... So the Londo situation is fascinating because he is trying, you know, he's, he's been trying to fix all of his mistakes. That's what Londo's been doing. And now he comes to Rifa 
And, you know, he's like, only an idiot fights a war on two fronts. Only the king to the throne of idiots fights a war on multiple fronts. That the that the Centauri have become so aggressive uh, that they, they're, they're, they're mistaking the stars reflecting the ponds for the night sky. They see themselves as these glory-hound conquerors, not thinking about the consequences that has. And they're weakening the lines of defense. They're causing all this ruckus. There's an alliance of races against the Centauri now. Uh, the shadows are playing both sides, and it's only causing more problems. And Londo sees this and wants to stop it now. And the only way to stop it is to fix his mistake in the first place, which was giving Rifa power. He can't get rid of Rifa now, but if he can control Rifa, he can control the course of events, at least partially. And so that's why he uh, he does what he does to Rifa. He poisons Rifa, and you know he f uses his basically is you know um, uh, as blackmail. You know that poison because it comes in two halves. And, you know, it stays silent and dormant for years. He can introduce the second half whenever he needs. It will That poison will forever, hold, you know, hang over Rifa like the Sword of Damocles until Londo wishes to use it. Londo, at the center of it, is a selfish man. But he also sees, you know, he sees what he did wrong and he's trying to correct it. And... Rifa is too goddamn naive and only sees the bigger picture. He sees power, he sees glory, and he sees his eventual rise to the throne because of Mr. Morden's power, and through him, he you know, Rifa has power. That's all he sees. Londo's older, more experienced, sees what's truly going on. He's able to analyze the situation and understand. Uh, for him, it's no longer about power. It's about the you know it's about fixing his mistakes ensuring that his people get what they need you know we talked about this this is all Londo you know attempting to fix his mistakes that's what it has been for a while now and the trump card of him using the poison uh, is brilliant because it's basically a you know this is symbolic of everything that is wrong with Centauri society. Centauri society is all about backstabbing, and if we are to return to the old ways, you know, uh, then the, this was, you know, the instrument of choice in the old republic, you know, uh, and the poison is, it, it, it's so, it's so subtle, uh, it's so easy to take someone out, uh, way back in season when we talked about how, um, the, basically the, the Centauri hold things over each other as blackmail. That's the way their society is run. Uh, and so this is classic. Uh, and it shows all the problems inherent with the Centauri returning to their old ways. They had become clowns, and now they're the conquerors again. And that means pulling out the horrible parts of their you know, society. They were playing a game. They were playing a game that they had been playing for thousands and thousands of years, probably. And now it's actually gotten serious again. And this game has some serious stakes. Plus, you know, Peter Jurassic nails it. When, you know, that, that, that speech at the end of, you know, and poison was always the weapon of choice in the Old Republic. And the proof of I'm something of a sentimentalist, I got here first.
fantastic stuff. And um, it's just overall a very good scene. And when Londo interacts with the Lin stuff, you can see why he says no to the rebirth ceremony. It's not because of any sort of self-righteousness about him. It's he sees no no need for um, sort of uh, pompousness and uh, spirituality. He has fixed his mistake, at least he thinks. And now anything that com- that, that uh, you know comes his way be on his head, so be it basically ki- kind of situation. Uh, now the, the 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 hostage situation, the sort of uh, the, the, the the night watch people, um, it's pretty. I, I mean, I think it's it, it's a bit difficult to talk about this because um, it makes sense that there still would be night watch sympathizers all over the station, and these people are still around, and there's still you know traitors in Garibaldi's guard. It makes perfect sense. However, the hostage situation and everything that comes about it is so stereotypical television uh, and at times poorly acted um, that I don't think I really gave a damn. Uh, When I was watching this episode for the very first time, I was kind of like, okay, they're a bunch of United Nightwatch hooligans, so what? And when they take out... Uh, when when they, when 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 they they take out the Minbari sort of meeting and capture Delenn and the and the uh, you know uh, the Minbari military leader, um, it just kind of turns very generic. Uh, and you have that singing scene, which is supposed to be uncomfortable, and it is kind of uncomfortable. But it could have been far more uncomfortable if it had been acted better. I've seen that actor in other things, and he does get better with time. But here, I don't think he really sold the uh damaged war veteran the uh the the person who was uh always a killer and always was going to be a killer but war brought out the worst in him and made him a sadist basically that's what we're going for in this and i don't think it really played off all that great personal opinion of course um and then when when the entire rescue situation happens, I feel like Delenn getting wounded was a bit sloppily handled, to be honest. Um, like, it, it serves a purpose in the narrative. Uh, and I'll talk about that when I get to the rebirth, sec- the rebirth ceremony section. Um, that, that this all really does serve a purpose towards you know, uh, where these characters are going, what they mean to each other, but it it feels like all of a sudden and very sloppily directed, just kind of out of nowhere, and you kind of sense it's coming from a mile away, and I was just like, eh, I don't know. And Sheridan running off half-cocked because the woman that he cares about was, you know, wounded, um, could have been handled much better. Uh, I think it was a bit melodramatic. However, I do like Sheridan's speech of no more. I'm tired of you. You know, no more of the Night Watch. No more of you people on my station. No more. I like that speech. And I think Bruce Boxliner did great with that speech. But the entire, you know, Delenn getting wounded just so Sheridan could go off half-cocked felt a bit melodramatic and standard TV cliche for my, you know, my tastes. Personally... But, you know, um, it wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. 
Now, uh, in within the hostage situation, we have some interesting bits between Marcus and then Lanier. Um, so on the note of Marcus, uh, we really get to see him go to town in this episode, which I appreciate. Um, it's always fun to want, you know, watch him, uh, be a badass, you know, at, uh, five minutes from now, I'll be the only one, uh, you know, still conscious at this table. Uh, it's just great. Um, and, uh, I also like his, uh, his discussion with, uh, Delenn. There's two things he says that, you know, two things, uh, that we get to know about him that I find interesting. He, um, uh, you know, he's from a colony. We knew about this. And... And, and Delenn apologizes for everything that's happened to the Earth government. And she's like, you know, your government did this. And he's like, they're not my government. You know, I lived on a colony. And as far as I was concerned, we were separate from Earth. They were just a distant idea, a uh, distant boss to say yes or no to. Um, they meant nothing to us. Uh, this is my home. And I like that. Um, you know, he, he shares much the sentiment that I do occasionally of, um, you know, I don't really feel connected to this place. Uh, makes perfect sense. Um, and uh, if you look at, you know, throughout history, you have a lot of colonies who, you know, that, that, that feel that way because the government is just a distant idea. It doesn't seem to really affect them. And another thing is, you know, how he, uh, when he is, you know, requested at the rebirth ceremony, he feels like he can't give anything. Uh, you know, part of the rebirth ceremony is giving something up. And he's like, you know, I don't have anything. I lost my brother. I lost the colony. You know, I became a ranger to make up for my, you know, pr uh, you know, my sins in that regard. And Delin has a really moving speech about, yes, you you don't have anything. You let go of your brother. You let go of your, your colony, your home, and all this stuff. And you became something better as a result. But you haven't let go of your grief, the pain that you hold for not being better. And it's just a really, really sweet scene. Uh, and really shows the strength of the character of how he can, you know, we, we really come to understand that he holds all this stuff within him, and yet he's still able to be this charming, roguish-type character, um, which I think is nice, because normally someone of his archetype would be dark and broody and, you know, uninteresting, like that. Uh, you can make Dark and Brody interesting. It depends how it's written. Uh, and with with Marcus, he's not. He has a defensive mechanism. His humor is his defense against the pain and the guilt and the grief that he holds within himself. And he needs to find a way to let that go so that he can truly be alive. And I like that. Um, then Lanier's scene with Marcus really interesting because Lanier you know uh gets really offended with Marcus and, and goes you know um we may we may sometimes act and look like you but never presume that we are you um Lanier has always believed in the way uh Mimbari do things the traditional values their duty their honor um uh, you know everything steeped in religious symbolism and blah 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 he demonstrated that many times uh, throughout all the episodes he was a focus of. But he also demonstrates that he has a different mentality than some Mimbari. At one point, he willingly lies, not to save face for another, but to save himself some annoyance. Uh, and 
in this we get this uh we get in this episode we get him admitting that he loves Delenn and he claims it is not love in the traditional romantic sense it is a deeper more special love a love that is uh defined by friendship and duty and honor and servitude uh and is far more powerful and far more deep and far more trusting than any kind of romantic love that any other species could have with you know another person um this i believe is him projecting uh to me he strikes me as the classic friend who uh either didn't admit his feelings uh, uh you know to the person of his affections or did and was rejected and that person got with someone else and so they guard themselves and say well i was here longer therefore i mean more to them and blah 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 and it's sort of them reassuring themselves that they mean more when in actuality they don't they're you know because they rejected them or they were never told they're probably on a little a smaller level or maybe even the same level depending on the person but it is not a deeper love it's not it's not that kind of love it, he does love her in that sense he's just kidding himself uh, my personal opinion on that matter and the way he views it he's just kind of the archetypical guy who doesn't want to admit that the person probably doesn't like him back and so says oh i have a deeper understanding of this person that you can that you can't possibly imagine it's him hyping himself up making him think he is sort of making himself think he's more important to dylan's life than he actually is he is important don't get me wrong but he's not the source of her romantic interest as we'll see you know when we, when i talk about the rebirth ceremony section so i just think that's him hyping it up and perhaps him leaning too much into the classic membari mindset the membari mindset has always been about duty honor traditionalism and superiority the belief that because their traditions you know are tied to their honor and their duty of what to do and their faith they inherently believe in superiority. It's probably ingrained into them by the Vorlons because we know they're quite close to the Vorlons. Uh, and guess what? The Vorlons have a very similar mentality. So I think that's him projecting. Now, the uh, rebirth ceremony, I like, I love the idea of, um, you know, because we begin this episode, you know, uh, very early in this episode, we have a funeral scene. Uh, and, you know, the Babylon 5, uh, you know, funeral scene of, uh, you know, to the stars we came and to the stars we return. Uh, and so there's this idea of the cycles of life and rebirth and rejuvenation. And then they have the Membari ceremony of that uh, symbolically mean, you know, you know, Babylon 5 has moved on from Earth. The Membari have broken the Great Council you know the narn are in a position to help again the the centauri are are now being pushed out, uh, pushed against by the people they were conquering um everybody has gone to a new status quo nothing will be the same anymore so it's time to rethink and renew yourself and to become something new to embrace this new status quo this new world and i like how everyone 
just kind of says no to the rebirth ceremony because they're all involved in their own personal politics or their personal, you know, duties, and they just find it too busy, um, and they, they can't do it. It's not worth their time because for Delenn, faith is more important than anything, but to everyone else, it's not. It's not particularly important that you know they have more, more pressing concerns. And when Delenn gets hurt, that's when they bring the. Uh, rebirth ceremony to her and I love the symbology of all of them giving up their Earth Alliance uniforms to her to uh, sort of you know because they have to give up something that means something to them and well they wore those uniforms they took that oath and we know Sheridan in particular wore that uniform because he wanted to do something important and it made him feel important and you know he felt like he could take on the entire world it made him feel 10 feet taller when he put that uniform on and it's important he's not wearing that uniform throughout this entire episode since he put it since he took it off last episode he's still not wearing it uh and i think that is uh, a really nice symbol and uh each of their um each of their sort of missions to Delenn uh, is really heartfelt and nice. So Sheridan, uh, he admits that he loves Delenn, that he can't imagine his life without her. Um, you know, that was pretty obvious. Um, and I love them as a couple. So I'm, of course, happy about that. Uh, but I like that that it isn't like a full-blown, I love you, Delenn, and blah, blah. You know, nothing melodramatic and nothing, you know standard tv romance it was just i can't imagine my life without you and i don't know exactly what that means but i'm willing to explore it if you are um garibaldi he's afraid all the time of what he might do uh and i like that because garibaldi i've talked about is the quintessential detective the quintessential sheriff of a town but he's also incredibly paranoid and paranoia does not just apply to other people it also applies to yourself He's afraid, and we know this for a fact that he used to, you know, he used to not be exactly a straight player. He used to do not great things, and we know that he's an alcoholic, and we know that he can lose control. And losing control of himself means he could do bad things again, and he's afraid. And that's what makes him so good at his job, is that he's afraid for himself, He's afraid of himself, and he's afraid for and of everyone else. So it makes him highly alert, highly secure, uh, and that's what makes him a good security officer. Uh, Ivanova finally admits that she loved Talia, so basically that is a smack in the face. If you did not see the very clearly obvious gay subtext between their storyline, there it is. Um, and I like that. Um, you know, there's nothing important about that because I, you know, I already talked about what Talia meant to Ivanova before and what she represented, and then to have that stripped away from her, um, as a result of you know potentially Psychor dissecting her, uh, pretty pretty difficult stuff for Ivanova to swallow. But I just like that she finally admitted it to someone. Um, you know, she's always going to have control, even of herself, of her emotions, of her feelings. But she was able to finally tell someone, I loved her, and then I lost her. And then Franklin finally admits he has a problem. We've been seeing the drug problem grow and grow and grow since, you know, since season two. Uh, and we saw hints of it back in season one. And now he finally admits he has the problem with stems. 
and that will become an important plot point for future episodes. But I, I, the first step of getting help, of fixing a problem, is admitting there's a problem in the first place. Believe me, as someone with mental issues, I know this. Uh, and then just as a side note, the new uniforms are fucking badass. I love the new Babylon 5 uniforms, uh, and I'm so glad that they'll stick around for a very long time. Uh, but that's all I have to say for this episode. It's a beautifully done aftermath episode. Um, there are some issues with it in regards to some cliches and some tropes and some standard TV. But for the most part, the symbology of everything, the way everything interconnects, the way it's all about moving on, I think, and in, in sort of renewing yourself for the new world and uh, status quos, you know, being broken and then being rebuilt you know really good character work really good solid foundation and i think overall it was quite a fun episode not perfect by any means but fun and heartwarming in times until then see you next time for the next episode bye